From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. This is the Lembit Opic Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the third hour of the Lembitopic Show, where we find the facts, kill the spin, tell it like it is, from stories all over the world. Uh, with me today is a man who's literally faced death in the last couple of months, but he's back on fighting form. Looks like a tricky early diagnosis may have caused difficulties there. And uh, I'm glad to see Paul McGowan, who is an artist and I think a free thinker, uh, has made a good recovery, but it looks like the whole recovery will take six months to a year. In the previous hour, we were talking with Paul about uh, his experiences. Uh, I've asked Paul to stay on a little bit longer, and then after Paul goes, I'll give you some views of my own about what's going on in the world. Uh, But uh, I don't want to detain Paul by doing that at the top of the show. Uh, But Paul became a friend of today's news talk, TNT, because he has very good and wide-ranging views and questions the establishment when that is the right thing to do. Paul, thanks for staying with us. I shouldn't be tiring you out, really, should I, Paul? I'm all right. I'm all right. You don't sound all right when you say it like that. Yeah. (laughs) No, I am. I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm fine. Well, uh, Um, if you get... The funny thing is, is with politics, see, I often, I read politics all the time, but when I was in hospital, I didn't read any of it. And I'm not a TV watcher. Um, So I had a total empty space where politics used to be. And I tell you what, it was quite a nice break. It was quite a nice break. But being out, well, since I've been at my home in the last, like, five days, I can't help but pick it up every now and have a good read. But, I mean, I can't, you know, I'm not I'm not shocked at anything that's going on in the world. I, I didn't think anything was going to um, get any better when I was in there. It's only getting worse. I mean, under Joe Biden's administration, the world has turned to, it's just rubbish, isn't it? It's just fallen to pieces. I mean, there's chaos everywhere. The man's not a leader. A man's not a leader. And yeah, Ukraine war, that's still more money laundering. Well, they're making a lot of money out of that. A lot of people, but, you know, there's no way in the world Ukraine are going to ever win that war. What Boris Johnson said, um, what I saw this morning on telly, on um, um, YouTube, was um, absolutely ludicrous that he thinks Ukraine are going to win this war. Look at the soldiers in Ukraine, they're, they're averaging like 40-odd-year-old men. 40-odd-year-old men aren't going to go skirmishing up to the battlefront. This is not going to happen. I mean, they haven't got the military for it. They haven't got the population to fight Russia. Russia's just sitting there. It's built like a marginal line of defence. It's just they're not taking any of that back. There has to be some sort of compromise now, but they're not going to do that compromise because there's a lot of money involved. You know, war's profitable business for some, but um, it's also morally bereft. What's going on? I mean, they're always showing these pictures of these young men training in Britain for the battlefront. Well, they're sad, sad to say they're all going to be dead soon because it's, we we have not got Ukraine has not got with the crappy military stuff we're giving them and that and the amount of their population they haven't got what they need to take that land back. It's never ever ever going to happen all we're just doing is prolonging the inevitable and it's death all the way for ukrainians and for a lot of russians remember but i mean i'm i'm somebody that particular i'm 
I've done a lot of anti-war stuff in my time, mainly about regime change wars. I hate regime change wars. But um, this this fits into that perfectly. Um, I, I just, just think we have to go to the bargaining table and something has to be sorted out. But there's nobody, there's nobody in the room that's clever enough to, you know, or brave enough to admit this. Um, maybe if Trump come back, the world would go back to some sort of peaceful way i mean it was it was a lot more stable under trump um even though the libtards don't like to admit that but i'm afraid it's the truth i mean we're we're living in chaos now you know everything is just absolute nightmare since trump's gone it's just gone downhill and you know i used to like really support trump really so just a lot of the time just to wind up the libtards but um the, the, the truth of the matter is, it, Joe Biden's done a terrible job. The, the world's in chaos. Uh, so really, while you were away, so to speak, nothing got better, but some things got worse. Uh, I'm not Obviously, sure if you caught it, but Joe Biden had another meltdown moment when he was accused of being too forgetful to be guilty of a particular crime. It was a real double-edged sword, that one. And then he had a press conference to say there was nothing wrong with his memory. And then he forgot stuff in his press conference, which must have been an absolute nightmare for his handlers. And then you're talking about Boris as well. But just before we go away from American politics, because we did talk about this a bit yesterday, it looks to me that Joe Biden will be standing against Donald Trump. From what you say, I guess you're hoping that Trump will win. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I just think he's a safer pair of hands. <laughs> you know, even though he's a loose cannon, he is basically a safer pair of hands than, um, than Joe Biden. Because J- Joe Biden is a buffoon. He's an absolute buffoon. And um, I, just, I don't know how he's getting a free pass still, because he is an idiot. It's, you know, obviously it's dementia, but even when he was a young politician, he was an idiot. I mean, he come out with terrible things, terrible racist things as well. Really, really extremely racist things, you know. And um, even his own VP called him a racist. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous in the primaries. I mean, we we need if they're the pick we've got, basically Joe Biden or Trump. I mean, they may try and swap Biden out at the last minute, but um. I, I just, I think Trump's going to win the election if it's with Joe Biden. It's as simple as that. But when I look at the Democrats, I don't like any of them. And, you know, in the past, when they had a, a stronger conservative element to the Democratic Party, you would basically, um, you'd see a few people, you'd think, well, they could be okay, and there's a few that were likable. Now I look at them and I just think, oh, what what an absolute mess. The uh situation with uh, Joe Biden isn't going to get better. Let's be honest about that. And he is clearly struggling at times, at least. Maybe it's a little bit episodal, but he's clearly struggling at times. What do you think he would be like if he got reelected for another four years? This is what I mean. This is this is this is the question. What's he going to be like in two years time? You know, if, is he going to be here in two years' time or an old people's home? I mean, 
his cognitive abilities are are bizarre because he will suddenly they're obviously injected him with something sometimes because his mind will clear and he'll have like a flurry of you know decent sentences come out and then then it's just back to it's just back to that mess that he is and he is a mess you know it's um he's he can't be seen as the leader of the free world it's just an embarrassment it's an embarrassment i mean the west is now become so laughable i mean we we was this great um classical liberal democracy once uh, across all of the west and we believed in all these things for its free speech and now all these notions are being challenged you know and they're being challenged for what i can't see you know i can't see any improvement i can see us going in the opposite direction and continue going in the opposite direction but um something has to be done but you know can i there's no common sense politics basically and you there's too many career politicians making a lot of money if, if you look at westminster you just think oh do i really do i really want those people in politics no i don't i don't really like any of them but i'm not a great fan of you know of politicians in general because um even when you see i remember obama he was such an anti-war president well, his whole campaign was about anti-war anti-nukes getting back to you know sensible politics and then then he turned up and he was a total warmonger he invaded everywhere you know he killed more black and brown people than anyone you know there's quite a he, lot he of, loved it there's quite a lot of debate not all of it positive with regard to trump i'll leave it for later because i don't want to waste the only five more minutes that i've got with you today uh you do sound to me though that you're not desperately optimistic about the outcome of the next american presidency or perhaps you do feel unlike some of our chatters on on the uh, uh tnt radio live chat do you think that Trump would do a positive job, or he's just less bad than Biden? I think I think the world will settle down with Trump. I do. I, I totally believe that it will settle down with Trump. I mean, the Democrats have been the party of war for a very long time now, well, since Obama, and um, they were originally the anti-war party of peace. You know, let's make friends with people in the world, let's try and get on better. But now they're not like that at all. And you see it all the time in their um, their narrative. They they are just they they're a party that's totally lost their way. They're a bit like the conservatives. The conservatives have totally lost their way. They've uh, absolutely imploded. I I can't. I don't even know. They've made such a bad job of things that I do not know how they did it. You know, I, it's just a monkey could have done better. You know, he they've done. They might as well just randomly pick ideas because I reckon that would work out better than what they're doing because everything they do is just, you know, it's. I'm not voting in conservative at the next election. Put it that way. I'm voting for Richard Price. You know, the Reform Party, Reform UK Party. Yeah. We 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 featured their conference yesterday from the north of England and. Doncaster they had 1200 people at the race course there for a conference and they seemed quite upbeat now a word or two about this in that case there's a by-election in Rochdale which is a town up in the north of England where Labour have come a cropper they've shut down their campaign George Galloway who's a socialist uh, is tipped to be 
re-elected or elected again there. He's, he's the favourite, in fact. And uh, there's a chap called Simon Danzuk from Reform UK, and he could be second. I would say he'll be second or third. I'm not sure if you're up to date with the two by-elections that took place while you were ill in Wellingborough and uh, in uh, Kingswood in Bristol, but Reform came third there as well. What's your prognosis for this year's British political election? It's going to be a general election in autumn. Can they actually make inroads or are they just not going to be favoured under the political electoral system that we've got here? Well, I looked at, I, I did have a quick look at those um, results and reform's percentage is pretty much echoes what their what the opinions are of the people their percentage in the polls and i thought that was that was very interesting because usually people support these things as a protest and they don't actually vote for them especially in a by-election people just can't be bothered half the time but i i think now i'm a bit biased because i was asked to go and work for reform but i obviously can't do it i'm not in a position where i can go and help out help help out one of their candidates but um i like their I like their politics. I do. I like it. And um, not just that, it's, I am sick, like many other people, voting conservative and thinking you're going to get something different because they don't. Because the, I don't know who's in charge of the Conservative Party, but it's definitely not the voters. I mean, they are not doing what we like at all. As a matter of fact, they totally ignore us. They don't, they don't give a a crap about us and um i'm not gonna waste my vote on a political party that's so out of context i don't know what would happen if they did get back in it'd just be more of the same but labor aren't gonna do anything different either they're gonna do exactly the same what's going on now it's almost like somebody else is in charge you get that feeling they are a uni party you know just look at during covid you had the tories locking down and you wanted labor locking down harder i mean there was Labour weren't for, you know, I mean, Labour are a mess. The Tories are a mess. British politics is a mess. The uh, chat uh, shares some of your views and disagrees with others. Hidden uh, Truth says, Paul, sadly, the world will not get better until we rid ourselves of the globalist corporations, corrupt and cartel mafias are exterminated. Uh, so totally there's a feeling there that uh, actually the bigger corporations are the problem. Red says that we exposed reform here yesterday for their pro-jab stance. I'll come back to that, Red, after the break, actually. Uh, there's a lot of other commentary here. One more for you, Paul. Annie H says, if Trump is genuine, they won't or can't let him win. How will they solve that? So what do you say to those who say that if Trump is genuine, if he really is outside the old establishment they'll just make sure he loses i think there's a very good chance of that i think they'll a very good chance they try and make trump lose i i, I don't know what um what sort of security but it, i think the um the postal vote is the massive problem they have in america and um it is a massive problem um because it's on such a large scale there and there's been so much um postal vote har harvesting and um, a matter of fact, recently before I went into hospital, um, I, I can't remember where it was though. Um, one of the 
there was a, a the Democrats got caught harvesting votes two two candidates in America. I think it was a mayoral election, and they got caught on multiple cameras doing it. So it does happen. So and this has been this is in the, you can Google that. You see, it's in the news. I can't remember who the candidates were. Um, but it does happen. People know it. We've had even in this country, we've had people go to prison for harvesting votes. You know, in the Labour Party, well, I will say. Paul, well, thank you so much for. I, I think believe it's happened in other parties too. Thanks so much for yeah. taking the time. Uh, we've extended it a bit because we spent the first hour hearing your remarkable and really rather chilling story of a misdiagnosis, misdiagnosis that could have caused you to have to pass on but you didn't you're on the mend and uh as the last 20 minutes have proved you you haven't lost your marbles in any way or shape or form uh, perhaps you're too agile to be the american president but you weren't born there so you can't stand anyway uh are you going to take the rest of the day off yeah yeah i mean i i can't wait to get out of this bloody chair my hip is killing me <laughs> but i'm sorry i, I don't sue me for that <laughs> i think you've been providing a great service and great insights paul you have a rest we'll get you back soon and just keep being on the mend thank you so much that's paul mcgowan who is an artist and now a recovering nhs patient as well who had the best and the worst that the health service could offer great nurses but poor diagnosis at the beginning, which could have killed him. Uh, keep your calls and comments coming. Uh, I'll get through as many of them as I can after the break as well. A lot of dialogue about what Paul has said uh, about Donald Trump, uh, about uh, the World Health Organization, about the establishment. Uh, I'll get through as much of that as I can. Feel free to call as well. Uh, I'm going to spend some time in dialogue with yourselves because there is so much to cover here uh, i'm looking forward to that as well uh, don't go anywhere this is the lempotopic show on today's news talk tnt see you in a minute tnt's timothy shea oh, it was a great day the ratios the ratios john kennedy senator john kennedy who we thought was maga who we thought was america first who still continues to make all the right noises then he, he does the wrong things. And the last straw was him voting with the 22 turncoats to send more tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine. Ukraine doesn't need any more money. Ukraine doesn't need any more of our support. We're the problem in Ukraine. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. <laughs> No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. thelightpaper.co.uk about to hear today's news talk and the voice of freedom that's what this country is all about tnt radio welcome back to the lembertobic show here on today's news talk tnt live from london uh but wherever you are in the world you're welcome to call you'll find the phone numbers on the tnt radio.live uh site you can also join the chat i'm going to go to the chat in a short while in just a moment in fact that was paul mcgowan paul mcgowan who is a regular contributor. He hadn't been on for a while because he nearly died. And I'm telling the absolute truth when I say to you, 
as I called him, an accident, an emergency, he said, I'll be all right. I can still do your show. I don't think he could have. But that is an indication of the dedication of the man. And I'm glad to see he's on the mend. Uh, many of you have had interesting and in some cases quite chilling experiences, not unlike Paul's. I'll go to through those in just a moment. Uh, do keep sharing the answers to this question. What should happen in the UK uh, or indeed any health service to deal with an aging population, which necessarily will cost a health service more? Is it time to go private? Or is there something else which we could do uh, which would solve the problem? Let me read some of the messages that you've come in, uh, come sending in. Uh, your buzz says, you're an idiot if you vote for any politician. Politicians are parasites and most are aligned with the World Economic Forum and most need locking up. Well, Buzz, we know that Keir Starmer, who wants to be the prime minister, said he'd rather be in Davos than in parliament. What an extraordinary thing for a Democrat to say. What's happening to the Labour Party? Uh, Red says warped Trump is part of the gang. Uh, so Red doesn't share Paul McGowan, my guest's optimism that perhaps Donald Trump would stabilise things. I'm sure we're going to speak a lot about Donald Trump and for that matter, Joe Biden, as the, uh, the months go by, because we have a general election in the United Kingdom and a presidential election at roughly the same time in the United States. Mazzy says, uh, I can't name one genuine prime minister in the UK in all my life and in history, all have been part of a sinister plan going on for too long and cashing in all the way for a very long time, sadly. And uh, we've got uh, quite a lot of people agreeing with that. Uh, Buzz says exactly. Uh, another one from Madrid. If you register, you are entering into a contract. Also, if your council declares itself bankrupt, it is illegal for them to receive money. That's an interesting point. That's a very good point, Madrid. If they are bankrupt, then they can't take money. Now, I hadn't thought about that before. A lot of local authorities in the United Kingdom are claiming insolvency now. And that might be something they hadn't considered when they were making what seems to me a political statement, uh, because they do tend to get bailed out, even if they have financial problems. Uh, Madrid suggests uh, one genuine politician is Andrew Bridgen. Well, he's certainly taken a hit for questioning the way that uh, the COVID jabs were forced upon us. And he was isolated. And the state-sponsored media even had little ticker tape disowning what he was saying in his debate. That was unheard of. They had to apologize afterwards. So that's a good example there, Buzz. And uh, just a bloke uh, says, it's probably unfair, but I have about as much respect for politicians as I do uh, a man-keeled bucket of maggot-ridden vomit. Uh, David Curtin, Christine Anson, Claire Daly, among perhaps a very few other good eggs accepted. I was a politician. Don't know what you'd have thought of me then, of course. Doesn't matter now. Not a politician now. Annie H says, I hope that has helped Paul as much as we found it so interesting. I do hope that Paul McGann found it helpful and perhaps cathartic to share his experience of the NHS. Uh, a fascinating hour of discussion with him. Unexpected. I, I thought he'd talk about it, but actually... He gave us a uh, chapter and verse in a very interesting way. I agree with just a bloke who says, lovely guest, Lambert, and he has my utmost sympathy. Just a pity he misguidedly aligns himself so closely with Reform UK. Well, it's everyone's choice. Uh, that's his opinion. You don't have to have the same one. Uh, Lou says, I want 30 seconds with Klaus Schwab. Uh, she calls him something else. You have to see what she says in the chat. Uh, I assume it's uh, you're a Shilu. Uh, sorry if I forgot your gender wrong. 
Uh, Buzz says exactly, Lambert. Lots of commentary going on there. I won't be able to go through all of it, I have to say. Uh, but do keep, keep your calls and comments coming. Uh, we're uh, going to go to uh, uh, David Stater, who's coming in as a wildlife photographer. He's uh, basically had a fairly difficult hospital experience himself recently. Uh, he's had a mild stroke. Uh, it'd be great to talk about uh, some interesting things that he's done as well. He's going to join us um the uh on the show in just a minute but before we go there i just want to highlight there's quite a lot of news today uh in the united kingdom about well let's just say how can i put it uh people defending their positions uh on uh, everything from the forthcoming general uh sorry forthcoming by-election on thursday they're kind of positioning themselves to to Prejudge the outcome as far as i can see uh at the same time as getting all mixed up about islamophobia uh, there's a conservative politician called uh called lee anderson i think he's called i'll just check that yes lee anderson uh who's been accused of islamophobia by the mayor of london uh said he can never uh, is is never very uh, hesitant, or at least his people and supporters are never very hesitant in criticizing other people. And so there's a big raging debate about whether Lee Anderson should have had the whip removed, in other words, be suspended from the Conservative Party of government in the UK or not, for having said things about the Mayor Sadiq Khan. I wonder what you think. I haven't really got time to go through the details of the story here, but here's my position. When it comes to free speech, it doesn't mean anything unless, to quote Elon Musk, you let people you don't like say things you don't like. And the age-old debate in a free society is surely this. How far can you go before you should be silenced? As a libertarian, my view is you should be allowed to go very far. If you don't incite violence or racial hatred, something which does material harm to the prospects of another individual, then you should be willing to tolerate even offensive comments. And here's why. Who is to judge what is offensive and what is not? It's a subjective opinion. Worse still, those who want to silence you could play the offence card to shut you down. I believe that the Green Movement is trying very hard to do exactly that. They want uh, environmental climate change contributions to be a crime against humanity. They're suggesting that it should be regulated, that you're not allowed to cause human-generated global warming. The problem with that is the human-generated part of global warming is probably not measurable. It probably disappears into the general noise of the climate's warming and cooling cycles. And yet this is a classic example of where free speech is being shut down, or at least the Green Movement is trying to shut it down on the basis of it not having arguments against the science. That totalitarian nonsense is exactly why I am a libertarian. I will happily debate with any greed, with any warmest at any time and share my data versus them. It's uh, a question really for me about whether we have the right to silence our opposition. I don't feel I do. I wonder what do you think? The illustration that we have from the Green Movement is a very real one, because I have actually been on television, on the old media, some of which pretending to be the new media, where the Green activist, rather than challenging 
what I believe to be strong science, simply says, Lebedopic should be cancelled. He has no right to be on your station spouting that there is no climate emergency. That's their argument. And when I say why, what we get is another demand for cancellation. At the end of the day, my feeling is that it is extremists. It's people with poor arguments. It is intolerant people who want to silence others. And that is not something I will ever countenance. I wonder what you think about this. I would guess if you're listening to today's news talk TNT, you're already thinking for yourself. And you would rather hear contrarian views than have them silenced. There is a temptation for all of us to live in an echo chamber where we talk to people who we agree with, we read articles that conform to our own assumptions, and we watch programs that sound the way we do. That is one reason why sometimes I have people on my show who you probably don't agree with. And then we get chat uh, on the tntradio.live site saying, why are we giving this person airtime? The reason is because with free speech, you have to give airtime sometimes to people you don't agree with. And to the argument that is sometimes put forward, these people get enough airtime elsewhere, but they don't get challenged. If you go on to the state-sponsored British media station, they explicitly say that they will not have balance against the warmest, against the global climate catastrophists. It falls upon us here at today's News Talk and the fellow travellers that we increasingly meet, and yourselves, of course, the viewers, to call that out, to celebrate the right for all of us to have different views but the right for none of us to silence our opposition. I'm very excited by where we're going, the growing numbers, a huge leap in the number of uh, TNT followers and, and viewers and listeners. And I'm also encouraged by the fact that we're able to have the kind of debates we had with Paul McGowan, a reasoned argument, highlighting the mistakes the NHS has made without vilifying those who helped him. That is the essence of free speech. And that is the essence of TNT. That's what we discuss on my show. And obviously, Didi Denso will carry on on the same vein after 12 o'clock. That's Greenwich Mean Time today. And as long as you're enjoying it, then we're proud to be providing a platform for free speech. That's what the Lembitopic show is all about right here on TNT. Let's now go to a new guest. Uh, we're going to be speaking now with uh, a great photographer, actually, uh, who's joined us uh, at uh, uh he's going to join me in a minute or two he's david slater wildlife photographer and he's produced a wonderful photo i'm not sure if we can put it up well we'll probably try uh fascinating chap he, he's joining us uh rather last minute we've just had the opportunity to uh to get him on uh when he comes on i, I think you'll very much enjoy his uh, his company let's set the scene here uh i used to be a semi-professional photographer i stopped doing it because I don't think I was good enough to make it to the big time. I'm not a bad photographer, but very few people can make a proper living out of it. But I learned that a single still, a single photograph taken thoughtfully and produced in a meaningful way doesn't need CGI, doesn't need clever doctoring or photoshopping because it can tell a story all on its own. And I got to realizing one of the great legacies that the human race is laying down now is the record of our times 
And with the moving image and with photography, as long as we don't annihilate ourselves in some unforgivable uh, act of military neglect, we leave behind a legacy which will be there for all time, I hope, and more than anything, which will chronicle the evolution of our species. But here's my concern. There are aspects of this that I think are slightly dangerous. I think that there's a real tendency for people to want to conform, to look the same, for example, or to act the same, or to be part of a club, because it's in human nature for us to act as a herd. And a question for yourselves, really, and I'll see if anyone said anything about this on the chat in a moment. Uh, is there a way that we actually fool ourselves into thinking we're free by conforming? Is it possible that the social media outlets, which I'm not very good at, I have to admit, together with the way that we socialize and we interact, means that we're trying to fit in? I make a confession, I've said it before, I would like to conform more than I do. It's just really not in my nature. For I imagine that being part and accepted in a team is easier than to be an outlier. And yet the problem we have is this. If you do conform and you're not true to your heart, then perhaps your life becomes far worse. Or maybe it's just that we end up in a situation that feels good, but actually is bad. There's a song by a progressive rock band from the late 60s and early 70s called Why Are We Sleeping? And the first lines are, it begins with a blessing and ends with a curse, making life easy by making it worse. Is that what we do? What will our descendants think 100 or 200 years from now when they look at the photographs taken from the early 21st century? Will they see a change in direction by society which was not altogether healthy? Well, to discuss some of that, uh, we uh, will be talking with uh, Dave Slater, but primarily I want to talk with him about a remarkable photograph, which I hope we can put up. It's known as the monkey selfie photograph, the monkey selfie story. It's a bit of entertainment too, but think about it in the context of what I've said. It's going to come up in a short while. A monkey is suing, apparently, <laughs> a wildlife photographer over the copyright of its selfie. Can this be true? Well, we're going to find out on TNT. We dare to bring you the stories others only touch upon. All of that with me on the Lempitopic Show on TNT. See you in a minute. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Dr. Matthew Wilicki is a bit like Dr. Judith Curry. Both of them were prominent academics in their field, and they left their field because of the fact they could not put up with the whole global warming missive. And of course, they have become outcasts. Dr. Curry actually had some of her background at Penn State, and she has been called some mean and nasty names by Michael Mann, to a point where I don't understand why she hasn't sued him for libel and slander, but it's her life. In any case, Dr. Wilicki has this idea about rethinking climate change metrics. Now, this is not an old idea. In fact, one of my professors at Penn State back in the 70s said that temperature is a third-rate way of measuring climate. And he's right, because the temperature can spread apart from what we call the dew point. What is a better way to measure climate is with what we call wet bulbs. But better than that, the best of all is water vapor. 
We have something that we work with as meteorologists called saturation mixing ratios. And it shows a direct correlation between the amount of water vapor in the air and the temperature. So why aren't we quantifying water vapor? You know why? Because it will reveal that water vapor is the main driving force behind the warming. Now what's causing extra water vapor? Well, it's not extra CO2 in the air, it's the warming oceans. What's warming the oceans? That's not from the extra CO2 in the air either. So Dr. Wurlicki's idea of rethinking climate change metrics is an excellent idea. And we should be quantifying water vapor. Fat chance given $63 trillion is already behind this whole net zero agenda. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. This is the Lembit Opic Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. The time flies by. Lots of dialogue uh, in the chat. I haven't got time to go through all of it. Uh, if you want to hear what people are saying here, uh, do go to tntradio.live. Have your say as well. Uh, remember, DD remember Denso is coming up after 12. Uh, that's Greenwich Mean Time. So in about 20 minutes, he's got like, some great uh, information and a great guest as well. But... Uh, I want to close my show with a story which actually goes back some way now, but I'm very glad that the very last minute uh, we got David Slater, who's a photographer, and who apparently was uh, sued by a monkey. I kid you not. Now, this isn't a story you've probably heard about before. Uh, so I'm going to ask David to join us. Now, David, thanks for joining us at short notice, but it was too good an opportunity to turn down. How are you doing, David? Oh, you're welcome. Oh, I, I'm I'm fine, thank you. A little bit of a shock that I'm sitting here. I've got about ten minutes' notice to sit here. Because I'm fine um, otherwise. It, but it, it's gold dust to get you on because this is a story that tickled me, and I know it goes back quite a long way. First of all, tell us yeah. what tell us what you do. You're a photographer, aren't you? Well, I'm a professional wildlife photographer since uh, the late '90s, to be honest. Um, won several awards, um, so it was always my ambition to help wildlife. A conservationist at heart, an old-fashioned one, by the way. None of, none of this green stuff that's going on now. <laughs> um, and and so uh, I, just, set, just, I set out to to help a, a vulnerable species one one year, two thousand eleven. Just before you go into that story, uh, I was saying before to the viewers that I dabbled with photography in the mid eighties. <laughs> had a Canon A one, which was at that time the industry standard um, s single lens reflex camera. Well, I would have thought it of it as such, but uh, I didn't stick with it. I still do photography, but not so much. Uh, just a question about my little philosophical observations. Do you think that we're creating a useful legacy for generations to come? Or do you think that the photography that they'll be able to look back on skews the impressions of our times? Oh, well, I think more and more over the years, photography has become so important. Everything's image-oriented now. It never used to be like that back in the, the 90s, I'd say. 
Um, and as a wildlife photographer, it's very important for me to represent life as accurately as possible and not to deceive the viewer as to what a wildlife photograph or wildlife is and what it does and where it lives, its habitat and all that, in much the same way as a, a journalistic photographer would would do so in, in a way you you're right i think we are the old the photographs that i take of my generation have taken will be something people may look back on given the advent of ai and all the photoshop wizardry that goes on now um uh, and, and just like in many other things of life we have to question everything now including photographs because we just don't know whether they represent anything that's accurate anymore if you were 200 years from now to look back at the photographs of people on social media, they'd assume that everyone was perfect and looked roughly the same. <laughs> um, well, even back then, people often argue that um, cheating in Photoshop, as they call it, is acceptable because people of the past always used to blend and merge in a dark room, the black and white photographs. Landscape photographers like Hansel Adams never really took the photograph as it was. He always played with it. So that's always been an argument to process your image, to make it look as, as good as you can. But I think people now are more technically minded and love the Photoshop bit of photography more than actually taking the, the photograph itself. It's become a, a, an art form rather than a, a, a method of journalistic support of, of real I, life i i love the work of ansel adams and we haven't got really time to go into it but for viewers if you just look up ansel adams you'll find as david says photoshop essentially photoshop photographs but works of art yeah. really the works of art uh, he's now, very famous the very famous black and white shots of yosemite generally but he did all sorts of types of photographs and they're not really seen as very good photographs anymore that's the weird thing <laughs> it's, it's a record was, of how photography is developed in the 1950s and 60s, I think he was most active at. Uh, mm. I've got a certain a certain nostalgic sympathy for it because I briefly lived in America as a, as a very small child, but we went to Yosemite, I believe, or Yellowstone, actually, we went to. And somehow I associate his photography with what I think America looked like when I was growing up. But uh, mm. it, And in that sense, I think that I've, I've photoshopped my memory because of Ansel Adams, which is quite an interesting <laughs> thought. Uh, so let's get into this rather interesting and, and uh, historic case now. Uh, I understand mm. that you were sued by a monkey. Tell us the story. Well, I, well, I, well, I was, but the story of actually the the, the 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 creation of the photograph is is well known. In that I went out to a place called Sulawesi in Indonesia, um, and I befriended a troop of um, what's called black uh, crested black macaques, and I was there for a few days. And over the first sort of day. I already had it in my mind that I wanted a very close-up photo of the face of one of the monkeys because they were very, um, um, very charismatic. Put it that way. They have a like a Mohican on the top, and they have great big orange piercing eyes. Uh, they're only small. The, the, the people think they're chimpanzees, but they're really quite a small monkey. But but my challenge was to get a, a portrait of them, and through Ogabai Crook, um, I ended up having to put the camera on a tripod with a cable release and entice a monkey in to press the button itself, which lo and behold, eventually it, it did do. It's a long <laughs> story just to get to that point. Um, but essentially I got the monkey to take a picture of its of its own face and 
the, the amazing thing was that the moment it did that, it was smiling. And I've never, ever seen, and still to this day, I've never seen a monkey smile in the way that this monkey did. And <laughs> um, so it became very famous. Um, uh, a media agent picked the, the photograph up and pushed it out to all the usual tabloids in Britain. And of course, they thought it was a, a funny story of a monkey takes a self-portrait. And that's interesting because the, the word selfie didn't really exist then. It only came in in 2012, sort of a year after my photograph. But some 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 wisecrack dubbed the thing a monkey selfie, and that name has stuck ever since. Um, but because the story in the press was that somehow the monkey had stolen my photograph, so the press started to make the story up and exaggerate it. It somehow had stolen the camera, turned it on itself, and, and pressed the the image, and then somehow dumped the camera. And I found it later to be shocked. Gave people the impression that the monkey should be the copyright owner of the image, not least Wikipedia. So Wikipedia, to their dishonor, ran with the idea within within days of this story breaking that the 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 the, the copyright shouldn't belong to anybody because monkeys the monkey should have had the copyright, but monkeys can't have copyright. Therefore, it's what's called public domain. And, and they promoted my image on Wikipedia as free to use for anybody, therefore cutting off any sort of potential income that I might have created for myself to pay for the trip, et cetera. Um, so obviously I um, was very upset and requested that they take it down, which initially they did, but it was very quickly put back up by consensus, which is the way Wikipedia works. Wikipedia don't rely on facts anymore. They rely on what they what the consensus interprets from the newspapers. At that time in 2011, they pretended that Wikipedia didn't operate this way, and that, like in a law court, we, uh, newspapers are hearsay. But these days, it's clear that there's a consensus agenda within Wikipedia, and I was a, a silly victim in the early days of this, where the story the story presented in the newspapers became fact on the pages of Wikipedia. At the time when Wikipedia were trying to promote itself as an encyclopedia of all of all knowledge, um, so, so I tried did... to get lawyered up about this. Go on, no, so yeah, so uh, I got lawyers just, 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 involved sorry, in I this. Talk to you. Just, just understand then. So at this point, yeah. uh, Wikipedia was ignoring your request, or at least whoever oh, yeah. runs Wikipedia just did, didn't make any effort to take it down. You were losing a lot of revenue. I know enough from my photography yeah. days to know how valuable a photograph can be uh, and how utterly frustrating it is if everyone's using it for free. And that was the situation you're in. Yeah, they were using it globally because if it's on Wikipedia, there's just a link you, you press and you can download it for free and, and you use Wikipedia as your defense. Um, so, yeah, but they wouldn't do it. Even even the higher-ups of the board got involved, and I was on radio shows and also trying to defend my copyright. At the same time, they were saying, no, that's not what you said in the papers. And I can't get through to people that journalists change what you say. They make your quotes up and everything. So it is. So so everybody was believing Wikipedia. Wikipedia has created a story that, that essentially the photography was worthless. This is how it, it, it panned out in the end. In, and all sorts of people piled in on various photo photography websites um, trying to let people think that if you fo your photograph only takes a, a thousandth of a second to take, say, mm. so you haven't put much work into it in the first place, 
And because of the internet, all images should be free. Um, and Wikipedia just went along with this idealistic mindset that photographs are worthless. And so they backed the story that my my photograph, which took a lot of hard work and planning and 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 look, um, was was had, had nothing to do with me. And they were they they were supporting the idea that photographs should always be in the public domain. Almost they they, they do lip service to copyright. Put it that way. So um, um, I'd quite like to share the photograph, but ironically, that would, of course, break your copyright. So I'm not well, sure no, we can really share If you it. can pull it up, that's fine by me. I'm wondering if somebody, I'm wondering if one of the team can put it into the TNT radio live chat. Uh, that might be the best thing to do. Uh, it would be helpful, I'm not yeah. sure if my producer might be able to put it in there. Uh, but yeah. uh, so, so what happened next then? How how was so, this? So, so obviously that was very stressful, and I had lawyers and stuff, and and the, and and the, the the story of me lawyering up and attacking Wikipedia, including Jimmy Wales himself, by the way, I had conversations oh, yeah. with him too, who was also defending the newspapers, what I had allegedly said, um, that got in the press. I can remember 2014, 15, there were articles about my story. So this is three, four years on now. It was still churning around in the press. Wikipedia was getting lots of donations. It, it's when they started, really, to start asking people for donations. And nothing to do with my photograph. It's just a, it's just an annoyance that Wikipedia was so rich and powerful that they, they started asking for donations at about the same time that they were stealing my photographs and probably many thousands of other people's photographs. I heard that even if you have a Flickr account, they can take pictures off Flickr and stick them up as public domain because you've ticked a box on Flickr unknowingly. And so, so, so all this was going on, and I suspect—I don't know—but I suspect that an animal rights organisation were listening to this and wanted to make capital out of it by by taking this case to court, suggesting that the monkey itself was conscious and aware enough to have taken this photograph, and therefore it should become the copyright owner. And in 2016, 15, 16, that's what happened. A monkey actually took me to court to, to sue me for copyright infringement, saying that I had used the, the photograph without its permission. That's ridiculous. And it was because I published the book, I published the image in, in a self-published book that I created, uh, which was published in California, a company called Blurb. Um, and that was the location of the court. So I was taken to court in California on the behest of an Indonesian wild monkey for copyright infringement of a photograph that I was trying my bestest to get Wikipedia to take down. It's and so surreal. It was, uh, it was, it was funny, but very stressful for me. Well, it's it's just surreal. Um, I know the particular animal rights organisation that you're referring to, amongst other things, they oppose the shearing of sheep because they they claim the sheep get cold, and I've heard one of their spokespeople on a platform say that fish have personalities too. Uh, I tend to think of them as a joke organisation because they've managed to convince lots of people, including some famous people, to back up their 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 antics. Yeah. And this sounds like one of those antics because obviously, well, I'm presuming the monkey didn't actually sign the papers itself. No, no. 
No, no, but I, I, I had the greatest sympathies with with animal rights at the time, and I, I, I have feelings that way myself. At the at, at that time of my life, I had founded a conservation group to help wild boar in Britain, in the Forest of Dean, where I, I lived back then, and I had animal rights people helping me out financially mm. and you and for, for adverts and things, and I and I and I still to this day believe that animals should have certain rights but mainly rights about their habitat and, and, and to stop the destruction willy-nilly just for the sake of, you know, mm-hmm. profits for logging companies and so on. Um, so, I, so I still very much appreciate people's activism to help our dwindling wildlife. Um, but it, when it becomes idealistic, like it does very often, it becomes silly and annoying, a little bit like the just stop oil people now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's 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 an it's an ideal of a, of a of a world, a clean world in a clean environment that, when taken too far, becomes very destructive. And I think animal I can... rights activists very often shoot themselves in the back because of this idealistic view of the world. I agree. I, I'm, a, I'm a great lover of animals myself, though I'm not a vegetarian. My concern is that these kinds of antics just undermine their credibility. But then they do get coverage. Holly asks, can mm. fish ride bicycles? Idea. I think it's probably rhetorical. Uh, Holly says also, my dog has the right to ask for biscuits and I have the right to say no. <laughs> Thanks, Holly. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, Red says about photography generally, the digital medium never appealed. The magic was gone. Uh, just before, I, mm. I, I, we've only got a couple of minutes, but in terms of the monkey photo, where did it end? Uh, are you making well, it, money it, obviously it went to court the, uh, um ultimately it took three years in court for for from for the monkey to lose not necessarily for me to win but the monkey was deemed it could not hold copyright which since then in 2018 has left me in a in limbo land where no judge has yet said categorically that i have copyright because of course to me copyright is by default you take yes. the image you create the image, you set up the conditions necessary for an image to be created, mm-hmm. and I'm the copyright holder, and I've always maintained that, and legally, that, that's the position. But um, you people could argue, still believe Wikipedia. Yeah, you could argue that the people who built the camera could, on the same basis, uh, claim copyright. Right. This is a, it's a ridiculous position, actually, that's been it's taken. The same, it's the same. Uh, There's lots of analogies, like tra- yeah. traffic uh, speed cameras. Who wants the copyright of a camera taken of your car speeding? <laughs> well, well, the, the authorities do, but because the authorities are funded by your tax dollars, that they, that it's a, it's a public domain image. But what about when somebody, when you ask somebody to take a picture of you with the beach? You know, who has the copyright? The button presser, or you, who arranged for that person to take the picture? Well, my argument is, and I think it's back legally, is that you, as the camera owner, who arranged for that image, has the copyright not the person who actually pressed the button and so there's all these nuances go on now especially with trail cameras you know photographers use cameras that are triggered by the animals um it's it's a minefield and now on top of that we have ai so the (laughs) world has gone mad i i want you to come back soon there's so much to discuss here david thank you for joining us at short notice it's a great story albeit frustrating for you i've got a story to share as well about 
very famous yeah. photograph that I never made a penny from. That's David Slater, who joined us at the last minute. It's got a big debate going. Uh, do keep the chat going. But my time with you is up today. It's gone very fast. Uh, lots coming up uh, with Dee Dee Denslow. Thank you, David. Thank you to all my other guests as well. Thank you to my team. Don't go anywhere. This is the home of free speech. Uh, and we broadcast 24 hours a day. I'll see you next Saturday, probably before. Have a great rest of the weekend. And stay tuned to TNT. Thank you.